Um, welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our webinar, which is called A View from Behind the Code. Uh, immediately, it has been taken from a test match special uh, from A View from Behind the Boundary, so we must give a shout out to them. Um, but the whole point of these webinars, I think we're going to start setting these up to be quite regular. Uh, the aim is to bring in, obviously, James from our side at Topo.io, and uh, we're bringing in Aaron. Greenlee from uh, Slater and Gordon, and we're going to discuss all things coding, new techniques, new systems, uh, anything out there, and just discussing how they're and when they're going to be implemented implemented um, in the workplace and actually really get an understanding of what people are looking for and, and understand whether these things are going to make a difference or whether it's just hype. So that's the sort of tip that we're going on here. Um, so talking about, obviously, newish trends, um, we're going to be talking and discussing low-code today. So today, um, uh, Aaron is uh, Head of Development at Slater & Gordon. We have James, who is our CTO at Toca.io. We're going to be discussing and sort of understanding Aaron's journey um, in his career, but then also looking at how that journey reflected or his view of low code, no code, low code, changed throughout that career and uh, and actually sort of explore where we think it works best, what's uh, the best opportunities for low code, um, and throw some challenges out there. We will have as well um, five, ten minutes at the end for questions. So um, if you do have a question, please pop it in. What I would think I will try and do, if I can, is I will uh, give the uh, the person who, uh, who added the question the opportunity to actually speak and pass that question over. Um, but please bear in mind, we want to get as many done as, as possible. So... Aaron, if you could just uh, give an introduction to yourself, where your career started, how it went through um, first, please, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. So a bit about me. So my background is in computer science. Um, I've also got a master's degree in cybersecurity, albeit recently. Um, my career has predominantly been in the uh, legal industry. Um, now, I actually started off as a, as a software developer, so building uh, legal tech solutions and managing B2B integrations and B2C integrations, um, more so in the personal injury and uh, class action market space. So my, as, as Keith pointed out, my, my current um, held position is head of software development. So um, what that consists of is I manage a couple of cross-functional product teams and I work on delivering new features and just general support for our practice management products um, as well as also you know client facing products for things like self-service retention it's probably been probably in the past two years where i've had the most exposure to uh, the low-code technologies um, but also it's probably been in the last two years where I've, I've really stepped into the legal tech kind of community um, so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing my my thoughts with you both so um, obviously I'll, I'll pick up on that and I'll, I'll sort of, I suppose, start on our journey that we, we took with Slater Gordon. Uh, it's probably about two years, year, year and a half now, can't remember. It must be about that, where we started talking to Simon. Uh, I remember the very first conversation I had with Simon, he gave me a right grilling, um, which I didn't have a lot of the answers to the question for. Um, but we then went through a process with, with yourselves, um, and I think Fraser, uh, who was with you at the time, 
yeah. uh, took on uh, the sort of review of Toka. And then I think Fraser left and it sort of came and hit and landed in your lap, didn't it? Almost yeah. uh, a little bit. That's how I found it. It came in. You can let me know if that's slightly different. But it'd be interesting to understand, obviously, from that point of when Toka landed in your lap, um, a, a loco platform, what your thoughts were then and what they are now, since because your career has changed over that period of time as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that my, my opinion of low code at the time, I didn't have an overall opinion, to be completely honest. Like I said, this was two years ago and, you know, referencing what I, I mentioned in my introduction, it was only around two years ago where I really started to get my foot in the door with low code technology. Um, at the time, I think I was a, a senior a senior developer or a, or a technical lead at the time. And, you know, my first thoughts were I was quite skeptical of the whole idea. You know, being a developer, one of the biggest challenges I think you've got from, you know, setting a, a low-code concept is developers by nature like to build things. Um, they like a blank canvas. Um, and when you give them an application or a product or, or a configurable platform, let's say, um, it kind of, you know, at first it came across like, oh, you're going to take the the joy, let's say, out of out of starting something from from scratch. Ah, so that was your first thought. Now, obviously, we had a we had a number of um, uh, you know, things that we built, but one of the things we did build quite quickly was that onboarding app for uh, blogging law, etc. So I'll leave that there. How, though, over time, now you're moving into your role where you are now, how have you found or viewed low-code systems in that sort of uh, sort of space? And where, where do you see the benefits starting to fit in from your side? Yeah, so I think I think the, uh, the opinion is um, somewhat split with me um, between the developer in me, but also the manager in me as well. Um, because you've got your business advantages and, and disadvantages of low code, but you've also got it from a development point of view as well. So from a developer point of view, I've just told you my concerns. Um, but from a manager point of view, um, that's kind of got on like a business level point of view, you've got um, a separate kind of opinion as to what a developer would have. Um, so for example, from a um, kind of product delivery perspective, um, you've got faster application development, um, which is fantastic, um, both from a management point of view, obviously, but also a developer point of view, because what developers like love to do is see your ideas come to life. And if your time to market is reduced, then you see your uh, your vision in real time being used in the market, which is always a, um, a, nice, um, a nice thing to have. From a um, business-led kind of delivery point of view, and um, not only is you know your kind of go-to-market lead time reduced, but there's also a concept or a you know a, a phrase called uh, time to fail, which is kind of the, the the other side of that coin, which is equally as important and it's sometimes often overlooked because a lot of times you may be you know you may not be sure if the specific solution is right or you might go to market and consumer behavior isn't what you anticipated it to be um, but, and but this is why time to fail is so important because that means you haven't wasted months of internal um internal development effort and costs on a wasted product essentially and um, that doesn't meet your your business needs um i think some other benefits that have really kind of shone to me over the past probably six to 12 months at least anyway is the um, is the agility as well of the local platform. So um, out of the box with um, a lot of vendors, you've got API connectors 
um, so it allows you to um, integrate with a lot of on-premise stuff. Um, I know a lot of law firms, especially, and you know, the older the firm has, the more you could argue has more technical um, depth behind it. Um, and having those kind of API connected and having a more agile product really helps you to um, overcome those um, those challenges. So from your side, yeah, obviously you built a logo system. Yeah. Um, what? Obviously, being a hardcore developer as well, where do you? What's your feeling about it? Because yeah, you obviously split in a slightly different way. I, I yeah, also very split. So the 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 I very much echo Aaron's sentiment that as a developer, you know, it's you want to build stuff, um, and that's your kind of first thought. You know, you see a see a code, a low code platform, you know, you. Uh, you know, you feel it doesn't give you the flexibility that, that you would have as a developer. But actually, what we've started to realize over over the years is as, as our product's been developed and it's grown, we've actually started to identify areas where low-code has been a massive help to us in terms of software development. So as an example of this, our own website, toka.io, was built on our low-code platform. Now, we could have, you know, paid for some uh, digital agency to build it. We could have got our own web developers in-house to build our corporate website. But I would much rather that they're focusing on building the product that we that we sell and we deliver than spending weeks or months even building our, you know, our consumer website. So we actually gave that to some of our solutions consultants. You know, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're just grads. They've got backgrounds in some some have got backgrounds in computer science some have just got kind of stem stem backgrounds you know they've done physics or, or maths or something but they've been able to pick up the tool you know this low code platform with such efficiency and speed that you know we've been able to hand over the task of you know build our our front facing our corporate website and they've done an absolutely brilliant job of it and they don't really have any web developer experience you know, and at the same time, whilst they've been building that, our actual web developers have been continuing to drive drive our product development. And it's the same with many other things. So we use uh, Toka ourselves for not only our website, but also our community. So our yeah. online learning platform. We also use it for server monitoring and kind of resource monitoring. Um, obviously, we've got quite a big cloud infrastructure that we monitor with it. Um, and then also, it's now our deployment. Um, we've built a deployment application that can deploy Toka to servers. So we've got Toka deploying Toka. Um, and all of these tasks we could have given to our developers, but they would have spent weeks, months, uh, potentially, you know, we could have lost years to building these tools when actually we could just give them to our solutions consultants between projects and they've been able to deliver something which is as high quality as a developer could do just with less skills so it's really about for me the benefit of the low-code platform and having one at our fingertips is not to replace the developers but it's actually so that our developers are focusing on work that matters and is engage it engages their skills to the best possible efficiency and we can give the slightly less technical stuff you know to to our consultants 
So, okay, so go on, Aaron. So, so it seems that you've really adopted Tocker um, internally as well um, as, your, as your core platform. But um, so a, a question to you, to you, James, of the mayor is, how are you going to expand that community um, outside of, of, of the business? Yeah, so it's a really interesting one. And actually, it's it's something we've probably only really started to get into the to the groove of in the last few months. But so with our with our platform, we've got this development kit and that allows people to build their own stuff. And we quickly realized that actually, you know, there's there's a potential for a big community or almost kind of academy like um, following of Toka, you know, you get it with other similar products. And if actually there's a company that's building connectors, API connectors into a case management system, it'd be amazing if they could then push that somewhere and share it with everyone else. And so with that in mind, we've started to push out this idea of a marketplace where people can actually build stuff on Toka. They can then push it out and then other people can pull it down. And you know, we're still very much in kind of early stages of this, but the potential of that is massive because not only are you building this community, but everyone benefits from that. Because you know, if I've if I've built something that I think is going to be useful for other people, then we can start to build this rich ecosystem of, of stuff out there. So all the projects that we've built internally, you know, once we've finalized marketplace, which should be in the next couple of months, then there's no reason we can't share those projects for Slater and Gordon, so Aaron's team to pull down and start using. Um, so that's kind of how we see it growing. Um, but yeah. you asked me a question about something, Aaron, which is around I, GitHub and something. Oh yes, I mean, I can I can carry on the conversation with James about this because I was just about to go into it. So you mentioned a marketplace, which I think is a phenomenal idea because it really mm. um, it really builds that community for your product. Yeah. Um, one of the um, one of the main things uh, you know a development team look for or any business will look for is that aspect of community and supportability. Yeah. Um, so that marketplace that you just discussed then, is that something that you consider making open source? Because if you look at even like the big blue chip firms, they've got like their own uh, GitHub repository, for example, um, and they use that for collaboration with users to build that, that sense of community. Um, yeah, absolutely. That engagement with your customers, I think that'd be a real positive thing to do. Yeah, that's certainly where we'd like to strive to get to. Um, you know, we're still very much in the kind of early days of this, but for example, our documentation is on our public facing GitHub, and we've actually had a few people um, do pull requests. So they've they've identified that something's out of date, or they've identified that they would like to add more information to a section, and they've just dropped in a pull request, and we've been able to review, you know, their their proposed change and, and pull it in, and then that's immediately, you know, available on our on our um, documentation site. So that's definitely the direction we would like to go. Um, and another good example of that is. If, if you're a developer and you have a problem with, you know, you, you run into an issue, first place you go is Stack Overflow for an answer. You know, it's it's like a running joke almost in, in um, you know, if Stack Overflow is down and no one can do any work. So it's, it's being able to leverage, you know, these common places like that. So what we can start to do is populate Stack Overflow with frequently asked questions and stuff. So if people do have an issue with Toka, they just go to the same place they would for any other development projects. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things I picked up on there 
One is obviously speed. Um, you've talked about speed in a slightly different way in which we've talked about speed. But obviously, speed from your point of view is actually allows you to get through, if you look at the whole development lifecycle, low code actually allows you to get through to um, a number of, uh, of the early stages without having massive cost and risk. Mm. Um, but you've also talked about speed in terms of actually it allows you to have well, uh, your junior developers probably doing more, yeah, more high profile, high profile work, serious work. Yeah. So, so, so one of the obviously business cases that is often put across with low code, and this is one of the things I want to sort of explore is, and I want to explore sort of developers' attitude towards this as well. So, okay, <laughs> is um, we are often, I'm often because I'm in sales pulled in by partners or I'm pulled in by uh, senior leadership team to talk about, um, you know, how can we get things done quicker? Can you solve my problems? One of the, and I'll give an example, one of the barriers I've sort of hit often is um, we get so far with the business case, we understand the business case, then we hit the developer team, the developer team go, yeah, but we can do that. And you go, okay, how do you do that? Well, we've got this template we've already coded. And it's coded template. And we go, okay, great. Sales cycle dies off. Um, and then six, probably eight weeks later, maybe six months later, we get another phone call from the same partners going, look, we still haven't got this done. We still haven't got things done. We still haven't got things moved. So how, how do you see in terms from a developer point of view that if you have tools like those templates before, how do we change the mindset of developers that actually something like a low-code configurable platform is more beneficial than using templates that are high-code? Yeah. So, um, so one of the one of the principles that um, developers go by one of the coding standards is, is solid principles. Um, and one thing that you don't want to do as a developer is um, is create what's recreate things essentially. Okay. Yeah. Um, with low code tools, um, if you set the seed, then you can build on it. Um, I think I've, I've been I've, I've been in that situation many times where I've been like, well, I can build this. I like, compared it to an off the shelf product. Well, we can build that. Well, you know, developers, we can build anything at the end of the day, given the amount of, amount of uh, resource and, and, and time given to us. But that's not always. I think there's sometimes a a barrier between. Um, actual development and um, and management as well. And it's for that management layer to actually translate um, the, uh, the developers expectations or the business expectations to the developers. Yeah. Because the developers can say, yeah, we can build it, but actually, yeah, you can build it, but it's gonna take six to 12 months. And um, because of you know market needs and because of the way that business is heading, we need it in the next four weeks. And that doesn't mean you need to go and work 18 hours a day, do loads of mad hours, drink loads of Red Bull. Um, it means that what you've actually got to do is kind of think a bit more agile in, in terms of your in terms of the solutions that are presented in front of you. Um, and if you fully adopt and, and procure your low code platform, you get the feel of it and you can truly understand kind of that vision behind the code. Yeah. Then that's where I think it becomes a lot more easy to adopt. Um, because I think the first step in kind of, I, th I think that is the first step really, if I'm completely honest. And it, it was the first step for me, it was adoption. So, you know, you've, you've got to be open and honest 
to your technology team as to why you're moving in that direction. It's not to discredit their own capabilities. It's because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and it's all about you know time to market whilst also maintaining that quality of delivery. Um, yeah, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I completely agree with with Aaron. I think he's hit the nail on the head. Where it's all about the agility for me. Is um, you know you can have libraries of, of code and, and whatever, but actually it tends not to be the programming itself that gets in the way. It tends to be the deployment. It tends to be, you know, all of the stuff that you don't consider as a developer. You you kind of go, oh yeah, to code that, it will take me a day. What you're not thinking about is how it's going to get through testing, how it's going to get to live. You know, what's the disruption to the customer? You know, have you updated the documentation? It's all of these tasks that as a developer, you're kind of ignoring for possibly on purpose. And it's, it's also the supportability after it as well. So yeah. as, a, as a development team, like an internal development team, once you've got an internal product and once you've got, you, you know, you put it out there, you've also got to support that product. And that's, you know, thinking back to when I was like a junior developer and I was a developer and I was, and that, that's kind of, that's how my mindset was at the time. You know, I was just knocking out features, knocking out new products and putting them out there. I wasn't really thinking about um, forward in terms of supportability because it, you know, it kind of didn't really follow me that much. But um, I think in terms of supportability, this is where it's funny because developers love a blank slate. We love to build something new. One thing we don't really like to do is touch technical debt. <laughs> Um, and what will end up happening is if you release products, if you build products, release them out there in the market, but you don't have a proper um, evergreening process behind that product, then in five to 10 years time, it's going to be out of date. It's going to be using out of date libraries. There's going to be patches, all of this kind of stuff. And it kind of falls into your continuous delivery strategy. But if you were to outsource that, if you were to make that as part of a managed service from a low code provider, then all of that responsibility, all of that technical debt, which developers don't like, um, typically anyway, um, is is you know it's, it's it's delegated elsewhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think coming back to your original question, Keith, which is kind of the developer outlook on how do they adopt a platform like this? The uh, the we've kind of very much developed our products with developers in mind because yeah. we're, we're a kind of tech first company, and so there have been plenty of examples where we've been building something ourselves, or we've worked with a customer who's been building something, and they've already done some of it in high code. Yeah. So they've already got a part of it, but it will be something like, okay, now they need to integrate with a legacy system or now they need to, uh, you know, hook up to office 365 or whatever it is. Now I could probably stumble my way through writing some horrifying <laughs> scripts that will integrate with the legacy system, or I could probably write, rewrite an integration with SharePoint that, you know, will take me X amount of time. But actually what we found is a lot of people will get so far in their high code and then they'll use a solution like Toker, which has already got plugins for SharePoint. It's got plugins for Office 365. It's already got all of those connectors. And then they'll just hook into it via API. So Toker's doing the kind of, uh, I don't want to say boring, but, it is, you know, it's the kind of, tedious repeatable steps that you know you don't as a developer want to have to worry about 
So the two things I'd say on that, one is a statement and the other is a question. So the first thing I'd say on it is, um, you know, often the, often the amount of time when you, you, know, you know, when you're adopting a, lo a local platform, it's, it's not your entire solution is being built at the local platform. Nine times, of, nine times out of 10, definitely the use cases that me and Keith have discussed for my own business, it's hybrid models. Yeah. So it's not like the developer will be sidelined. Um, there's still integration with uh, with your internal products, for example. For, for example, let's say that um, we wanted to use your Docker platform for a um, client portal for B2C integration, right? Mm -hmm. You've got your client portal capturing all of that data. Where's it going to go? Um, you don't have access to, you've got many API connectors out the box, but you don't have API connectors to every single product out there on the market, including um, CRMs um, or custom built products. Um, so how is it going to integrate? And that's where I think, um, that's where I think developers are missing the trip with low code as well, because it's not a complete replacement of development. It's it's kind of more of a hybrid working approach. And that's definitely my experience. Yeah. And the question I was going to put forward to you as well, speaking about API connectors, is that one, as I've already said, one of the you know the biggest um, advantages to or one of the biggest advantages to using low code platforms is it's the same advantages as any managed service or SaaS products, is that you um, as a provider will manage an evergreen um, the um, the product so that it's always in data and it's always secure and compliant. And um, given that your products and, and other, not just yourselves, but other local providers have so many connectors out of the box, what is that governance framework? Like, what does that look like? With so many API connectors, um, there's 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 so many um, things that keep up the date. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's fortunately it is. For us, despite having such a kind of large system, it is mainly the API connectors that are, that are you know, it, we tend not to worry too much about legacy systems, integrations, because they're unlikely to be upgraded with the frequency of a modern REST API. But a lot of the time, yeah, it is basically, it's, it's a, as boring as it is, it's a monthly audit of, right, has anyone released updates? Has anyone done, done X, Y, and Z? I mean, most of the time it's fine because a lot of people will version their APIs. So they'll come out with a new version whilst maintaining backwards compatibility. But you do get the odd occasion where, you know, you make, you, you give it a test, you see something's been upgraded and you get a completely different response that you're, than you're expecting, um, which has happened. And it is as simple as, you know, we, we do that work, but I guess, that's the benefit of using a platform like this is that exactly. someone else is doing the work for you. Exactly. If you, if you, you know, if you're a, making this up a law firm and you've got a dozen products, all of their own API connectors, that's a lot of, a lot of supportability for yeah. an on-prem team of, you know, 20, 50, 100 yeah. developers. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think the, the last point I'll make on this is that actually where we've seen uh, adoption weirdly has been our, our back-end developers have been using it to build front-end web applications because they don't have the web developer skills that they they might want to have you know they they've fair enough they they've focused on back-end technologies um but actually having this loco platform allows them that creative outlet that they can now build these web applications that previously would have been unattainable i mean they may still look you know they, they may not win awards for design but you know they're functional and they're usable and i think that's 
interestingly, where we've seen quite a lot of adoption internally is just... I, relate, yeah. I, I really do relate to that. I mean, um, yeah. my, my development background was very server-side, so it was creating yeah. APIs, very .NET focused as well. And, you know, I've had many ideas over the past and many ideas that I've, I've started on my own kind of personal GitHub repositories about um, products and gaps in the market that I could fill, but it comes to that front end piece. And, you know, I can only do so many React courses, but because of, <laughs> um, because of um, kind of always gravitated towards server side, it has been challenging. And, that, and that's where kind of these low code tools really do come in handy. So, so do you see then an opportunity for people to diversify their skills? 100%. And this is something I was going to pick up. Thanks for reminding me. It's, it's not just uh, diversification, but it's, it's also good for career progression as well. So, for example, if I've got a junior developer who joins my team and I need to skill them up, um, this is a very good starting point for someone who's not, um, who, who's not had that kind of experience. So um, using a local platform, you still get all of the concepts of development. So API integration, for example, I don't know in some platforms, I think your own does it as well. You can actually add your custom bits of code in there as well. Um, it's all kind of logical thinking and that's what it takes to be a developer. So it's, good. it's great for junior developers to get their foot in the door with that kind of career framework. Um, but definitely for cross-skilling, 100%. Yeah. So, so do you think then, um... So taking that, that the junior developers growing, cross-skilling coming in as well, how important is an ability to have an open source part of the platform to actually build what you need and want to meet that speed and time to market element that you require? And I suppose one of the questions I have around that is, if you're doing that, how does that then relate to the upkeep of those new builds? Does that make sense? Yeah, so I think yeah, so I think having an open source platform. I mean, not not all platforms will be open source. Some yeah. of them will probably be hybrid. I know a lot of companies that um, just do bits just to kind of build that community. Um, but the last thing developers want to do is adopt a product um, and and you know build all of this and then you know with a with a very tight deadline. And then there's an issue with the product and they don't know who to turn to. The support team's not coming back to them, blah, 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 and all of this. And um, you want to be able to go and have a look in the code if possible. You want to go and be able to reverse engineer it and maybe even give your feedback as well. Um, but having, having it open source and having that collaboration, especially for junior developers as well, it's great because you can just bounce ideas back and forth. And um, the, you know, if, Again, using the junior junior, uh, junior developer example, um, they'll get to log in, uh, look at the code, look at the source code, see how it's structured, um, and uh, they'll more than likely learn something about about coding and how things flow. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think the the uh, I mean, just anecdotally, we we work with uh, we work with a company in in the healthcare sector in the UK. And they have a software provider um, who uh, basically then part of the functionality wasn't working as intended. So they switched it off rather than it produced the wrong results, which, you know, fine. But then they've come back and said, oh, it's going to be 20 months plus until we can actually fix that and upgrade you to, to a version that will contain that fix. And, you know, it... That is mega frustrating as a, as a developer, certainly. You know, if you're trying to integrate with something, you've got no idea what's going on. You've just been told, you know, you're looking at around two years for, for this to be fixed. I mean, this is why uh, certainly in, in, our, in our tech team, you know, we, we adopt open source 
Yeah, massively. Okay, then. I'm going to be... Go on, then. Go on, Aaron. You also, you also have a roadmap as well, I've noticed. And a lot of suppliers tend to have that because, again, it's just that extra visibility. Yeah, absolutely. I think it just also... It, it allows customers also to then challenge and give feedback, you know, which is invaluable to us because we're, we're still quite a young company. And uh, some of some of the stuff that we add to our roadmap is, is a little bit of us trying to find what the market might require. And so by, by allowing people to give feedback on that roadmap, it does help us with our product fit as well. But then, okay, I'm going to pick up on, I'm going to be, um, what's the word? Devil's advocate. Devil's advocate yeah. here. Because you talked about how you use it in a hybrid model, mm. but with something like a low-code platform, any platform, why, if it has that open extensibility, why would you buy off the shelf and then bespoke rather than building yourself? Yeah, so, okay, well, let me clarify that. It's not, I'm not talking about um, buying off the shelf. Right. And using I'm talking about products you've already, you're already, you're already in commercial lock-ins with. Um, or products that you've got, which are maybe form part of your technical debt kind of landscape. So, but, but, but I'm just I'm just going to throw that out there though. Is that do you ever see an opportunity where these platforms become? I'm looking both of you. I'm looking that way because um, <laughs> where these platforms become so integrated and, and engaged by developers that actually they can build a bespoke let's say, case management system as quickly as you would if you bought one off the shelf and then rebuilt it, especially if there was this marketplace that had these composable bits that you could drag down. What do you do on that? Um, you know, I, I have no sort of idea. I think, yeah, I think, the, I, yeah, so I think, this, it is, I think there's two things here. One is that um, it becomes a lot more difficult for a company to become solely low-code orientated oh, if there's not yeah. a lot of technical depth behind them. If yeah. it's a new company, for example, and you yeah. plant that seed early, then they build the foundations on kind of a low-code basis. So one of my, I suppose, predictions for the uh, for the future is that um, a lot more startups will be using low-code due to costings and convenience. Yeah. Um, and ideally, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, and because of that, I think a good target audience is not just startups, but also capital venture firms as well. Um, yeah. They don't, you know, they don't just inject capital, but they also coach and mentor the company. And if they knew the quick returns and advantages, like we're talking about now about low-code technologies, I'm sure it's something that you know, I'm sure that's a tactic that would that would seed in a startup. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, uh... Be interesting. You can have that your sales, your next sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Just written it down. <laughs> so, looking at the future, then let's let's take that on. Um, you know, where I mean, obviously, I mean, I've just had a demo by one of our partners who's integrated Chat GTP into to Tocker platform. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was blown away. Um, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Great. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but obviously, you've got things in terms of from a coding world. You've got um, GitHub, Copilot, Copilot yeah. things like that. Where where do you see the world going? I suppose in terms of like Copilot, low code, no, well, let's no code, whatever. Um, <laughs> that sort of world in terms of the skill set a developer is going to need going forward. I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think. I think first off, just to reiterate what I, what I mentioned then about startups, I think it's going to help 
startups a lot because one of the yeah. barriers for startups is obviously capital and you can't go and spend you know a million pounds on a solid team of really expensive developers when you're um, a startup you want to be able to have those advantages of you know time to fail and time to market um, so i think going forward a lot more it's going to it's going to help a lot more startups uh, startups get up, um, get up and running uh, very quickly so i think we're going to see a massive kind of boom in, in startups with technology and um, as this becomes a lot more kind of well known yeah um you know as, as for you know other other ideas around um kind of low code and stuff like that i think one thing i've been pondering with and playing around with lately is decentralized applications as well um speaking about open source and i think that's definitely um right. i think blockchain um so i think that's definitely, i think that's definitely something um that I've not seen from a local platform provider at the moment, but I mean, one of the, one of my uh, kind of um, public repositories at the moment is, is um, using an, you know, a, a kind of an open source ledger for, um, for clauses in contracts, for example, it's something I've been talking with for about a year now. So creating a, an open source clause bank. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. so it's, a, so basically these clauses are gathered over thousands of, uh, contracts that have been produced effectively using something like chat GPT, chat GPT four, yeah, for sure. And then or to then surface it and understand which course yeah, definitely. and it's amusable because it's it's on it's on blockchain. I mean you do get issues, especially when you come to kind of legal sector. Um as I was you know you made aware of the past couple of uh, of months as I've been playing around with this. I mean you've got GDPR for example, the yeah. whole point of blockchain is it's meant to be indestructible and you can't change or alter movie data and um, you obviously can't have personal information in there so how does that reflect with gdpr so there's a bunch of barriers there it's very immature at the moment but um it's it's definitely fun to play with yeah yeah i think um if you look at what's coming out now with chat dpt copilot etc there's a massive trend which is basically enabling productivity right it's allowing people to move faster and yeah. I very much see low code as part of that trend, that that movement, because you know, chat GPTs, I think we can all agree it's immensely impressive what it can do, but it could probably tell me the code to write to build an application, but I've still got to, you know, there are still a lot of steps, there's still a lot of barriers in in my path. What I see is that all of these tools can start to work really well together to actually allow people as you've said aaron you know startups in particular where it's greenfield development there's no technical debt just the amount that it can speed up productivity you know low code is just another tool in that belt and you, you're saying earlier you know we've seen a, a demo today of chat gpt integrated with a toker app and it was immensely impressive but you couldn't have built the app without toker so you know it's 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 just another tool really and they're all focused on that speed to market that agility that we've been talking about and as a layman this is a pure layman um one of the things that worries me about not worries me doesn't worry me at all i don't you know i don't need sleep <laughs> but um one of the things that i i sort of get is if, if we've got these systems that generate code off of that everyone else has built you're going to end up with the same code mm. uh or like um you know microsoft have now got it within their powerpoints and you say give me a powerpoint on x y and z it gives a powerpoint which is pretty much going to be the same for every person that yeah. says that same question i think it might be slightly different because you can put twinges in it but um 
surely um, it's going to become it, it's the, the concern I have with it, obviously, is are we just going to end up with the same bland applications everywhere? Or where's the differentiator with something like uh, chat? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's, there's certainly, I think, let's certainly start with, I think there'll be an over-reliance on these tools. And I think right. you're right. I think there'll be a divergence of, you know, things, as you said, like adding AI to PowerPoint. I must say, I've never been writing a PowerPoint deck and gone, oh, I wish I had AI at my fingertips. But, you know, there are people out there who, who like it. And the, But you're right. I think we'll we'll reach a point where all of these designs and stuff will diverge, uh, will kind of, you know, they'll, they'll reach a point where they're all the same. And uh, I think, again, it's a trend, right? It's yeah. we're, we're going to hit peaks and troughs, but it's it's interesting with copilot for example you're right i mean if i ask it to write me a function to fetch the weather you know that's that's going to be the same as as you know it's it's going to be very similar to to any, everyone else's code but I, I don't see that as too much of a problem i think it's it's just something that will be a bit of a, a hype train to start with and then it will probably people will kind of push back a bit and want to go back to actually building custom bespoke things and actually utilizing the, their own creativity. What's your thoughts on that, Aaron? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I've played around with GPT quite a bit um, and I think it depends on your, it depends on your input, right? Um, but I've I've had that same thought, key for, isn't it? It's just going to be the same answers over and over again. Gives you a different answer every time. And yeah, okay. you know, if your input parameters are different, it'll, you know, it's it's very much a framework, and you provide the parameters, um, and it's it's surprisingly how it's it's quite shocking how different and uh, varied the the answers give you. Keep in mind, this product only came out in January, yeah, uh, and there is there is an over reliance on it at the moment, and I think that's just because people are so excited about the potential use cases. Yeah, if you, uh, I don't know if you've ever logged on to ChatGPT, but. And nine times out of ten, six nine times, maybe four or five times out of ten, you can't even get access to it because of yeah. the bandwidth issues that it's having. I think you can, I think you can pay for premium, you get yeah, extra bandwidth for it. But um, that just goes to show that the products uh, still got a, a lot more road to mature. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hmm. Um, right, we've got a few questions because you know we've yeah, we, we're sort of getting there. Is there any? Well, before I dive into there, is there anything else that you want to cover? I mean, we you know we're hopefully going to run a couple more of these over the next few weeks. So, um, well, once we've done the questions, we'll talk about actually actually other areas we might want to cover and explore. Maybe one of them we just talked about quickly there. But um, let's uh, go uh, to the questions. So, first one came from um, Mr. Smith, Tim Smith. Good to see you, Tim. Thanks for coming on board. Um, open source will enable security teams to see how the product is secure and and have faith that the premise is a strong one. Yeah, absolutely. About? I think it just goes back to that visibility comment um, that Aaron was was making earlier about open sources. Uh, yeah, I think so. The developer developer community nowadays is so kind of reliant on open source, and the fact that you can just go in, see exactly what the packages are. You know, nowadays, you know, we we use Docker extensively in our um, in our products and you can actually go to our docker and see the vulnerability scans right. that docker will do on our images so you actually can see okay well you know they've got 
three low alerts for something and, and nothing else that's probably you know it's going to be okay so it's it's again it's that trust it's having that openness to the world to say here's here's what we we provide and you know we're confident that there's nothing sinister there's nothing untoward hidden inside uh, okay um what do you think about that one obviously tim you know well uh, <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to kind of keep reiterating for myself on the open source um, point. I think I've made my stand quite clear on that. But you know, the, the more open source you can you can give, the more of a community that you build, and the more trust you you um, you, you build with your with your customers. Right. Got yeah. Um, oh, I think I've just hit one button on uh, on Tim's second question. So. Tim's second question was, um, how does the Tocker platform perform testing as the end product needs to be tested? Uh, is there an inbuilt tool that will archive security assurance and functionality testing? Yeah, so this has been a, an increasingly common question, um, uh, I guess, as, as we've actually encountered some bigger enterprise um, yeah. enterprises in our in our sales cycle. But the so we have started to to address this. I think originally, possibly a bit naively, we we started basically under the ideology that if you want to test something in Toker, you would write something in Toker to test Toker, um, but. I think where that worked all right at the beginning, uh, we quickly realized that uh, that's a lot of overhead for people to be worrying about. It's like, it, as a developer, I mean, I go through the same problem. I write code, I then have to write my unit tests for, for that code. But we kind of looked at that and went, can we improve that? So what we've started to introduce is you can basically enter a kind of testing mode. Yeah. And what that allows you to do is almost like run through without any side effects uh, where possible you know it's, it's still kind of it's it's a little bit tricky every now and then uh, you know because if i want to test some browser automation it's difficult to do that without opening the browser but um you know there there are steps we've taken in order to facilitate this um but particularly actually with our apps um, and also the the development kit that we have in our in our platform, there is actually sections for unit tests that will run on every kind of release, as it were, yeah. of, of that part. So it means you can say with confidence that you know I've updated this this block of, of automation or whatever it is, and I'm now confident that that upgrade hasn't you know gone. It hasn't led to any backwards incompatibilities. Yeah. Um, Aaron got one from you. Um, this is from an anonymous attendee. Um, most law, law firms are using Power Apps. What value have you seen using Toker, and why would you recommend law firms or anyone, for that matter, to look at Toker? So Power Apps is a low-code, no-code provider. Um, so the advantages that you're getting from Power Apps is also the advantages you get from something like Toker as well. So I've, I've used Power Apps myself. Um, I like Power Apps. Uh, you've got a big community behind it, being Microsoft, you do. Um, what I've noticed is, though, Power Apps is very expensive. <laughs> um, very expensive. Um, and also, uh, it depends on the training modules that are given to you and your kind of commercial SLAs. Um, but I've found that um, it can be quite expensive to maintain long term. Um, plus, you've also got you. You also kind of manage that yourself, though. So even though it's in it's in Microsoft, even though it's in Microsoft, and even though um, 
you know, if not technically like on-prem, you still own that, you're still responsible for it. But with, you know, going back to the conventional managed service SaaS model, if you were to use Topper, for example, or any any provider for that matter, then they'd be re uh, responsible for for that. Um, professional service costs as well for um, for uh, uh, power apps, uh, it, it costs quite a bit. Um, well. in, 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 in comparison to professional service costs for local providers, because I've yeah. not seen a few, um, but an actual um, power apps uh, developer can can set you back a bit. <laughs> it depends on your project size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. I think um, we've also had feedback, yeah, and take this with a pinch of salt, considering I'm, I'm saying it, but the power apps, you know, it's it's great for you know that first iteration that first small version of something but actually once you try to do something complex it runs out of capability and steam quite quickly um you know it's great it has all the kind of basic stuff that you would expect but as soon as you want to build something that's off the beaten track of one of their templates or you know it's very difficult to actually add and we've actually heard stories where they've gone to people who have been recommended by microsoft to go to a high code provider to build what they want because they weren't able to build it in power apps um and for me that that's slightly yeah, different keep in mind as well another point is um i've been bit by power apps a few times with premium connectors um, ah. all, of the, all of the connectors um they did and they do have a lot of connectors um but some of them are premium and some of those costs uh, can be overlooked uh, during project planning stages for example yeah, I'm not cheap. So we got a, a, an email in for uh, an email, a question in from Ben Martin. Um, based on your experience, um, for you, can you quantify roughly the difference time taken to build in a loco platform, an app in a loco platform, and a stack or another one, uh, or traditional coding methods? Who wants to take that first? I, I can take that first. So we've had a few use cases with um, with software, haven't we? I mean, we're going through one right now, and I think you give a lead time on two days. So to give a bit of a um, the context around that use case, it's um, kind of a um, a one-off kind of client uh, a client messaging system, just as a, as a one-off to get a decision from them. Um, very simple in in, in context, a very simple thing to do. However, um, given um, Given capacity challenges with that you, you typically get within businesses and um, the um, lack of skill sets that you sometimes typically get in businesses when you've not invested enough in in that type of technology, um, you know it, we would have had to spend time going out to uh, professional service company uh, companies, um, consult uh, consultation costs, mm -hmm. um, project management. So you know all of these things add up, and you know I, I didn't actually put a massive cost model together. Um, well, I, don't, I don't think I costed it up internally, and the reason for that is because I knew straight away it would be, you know, it would be well quicker out of the box with, with Tucker, because obviously they've got a, day, a lead time of two days. It would have took two days for me to just reach out to, consultation, uh, to, to consultants and get costs from them. Um, and also with Tucker, you also get any other provider, you'll get like the kind of solution architect with it as well. You'll get the testing done with them. Um, you'll get the development done with it. You'll get the whole kind of thing overseen and, and delivered as part of it, as, as a part of a managed service. Um, so obviously you've got your um, you've got your kind of license costs to go with the uh, go with the provider as well. It's not just you know a one-off thing, but yeah. with any provider, you're going to have to pay for the platform. 
Um, but then if you wanted to pay maybe professional service costs for that provider as well. Um, and you could do that, but then also kind of incorporate it into your team. So one thing I'm doing at the moment is um, in the midst of creating my own local product team. Yeah. Um, and this is a great example. So once this product is, is or once this feature is being built, um, it's going to be demoed internally and then it's going to be supported by us internally and little things like that really will kind of shift us more towards local development. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it's it's not actually so the, the time. I mean, we've I've occasionally taken great pleasure in in uh, turning up for to a sales call. And um, there was one particular instance where this guy had been talking about this Python script he had developed to scrape some data, um, recruitment data from a website. And um, he said it had taken him two weeks. Um, So we built it in 20 minutes on the call um, on Toker. And so, you know, I'm not saying that's going to be the case for for every time, but uh, I mean, there is a reason that these low-code platforms exist is that time to market is just so much accelerated. Um, But also it's, it's not just about the time actually, but it's about the level of individual that can build it. So, I mean, our, we've, we've got a small professional services team in our company and it's it's made up extensively of, of graduates or, yeah. or people with, you know, one or two years experience. And, you know, I could bring in an expect, I mean, engineers, software developers are expensive. Um, you know, they're, there's a massive massive demand for them and there's not enough supply particularly in the uk us a bit different at the moment um, but the the thing about that is that we've we've got these graduates basically building things that i would typically give to a you know a full a senior engineer or a team lead and and you know maybe it would take two or three engineers we've given it to one grad and he's done it in even if it's the same time as the engineer it's cost me half the price, if not less. Um, and so it, it's kind of a twofold thing there. It's, it's not just the time taken, but it's the the cost uh, of the the kind of the labor that goes into it. Okay. Um, right, we, we're virtually at time. Um, Aaron, thank you for your time. James, no thank you for yours. Thank I've you. just actually written down actually, topic for the future that we might have a look at is how the chat GTP um, uh, 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 co-pilot, yeah, yeah. low-code, all of these different systems, how's that going to change the professional services world? Well, that's one for another day. Be an interesting <laughs> conversation, that one. Um, look, guys, uh, thanks for coming on the webinar. If you have any sort of topics you want us to delve into and, and check in, or you want to come on the, the webinar to join uh, Aaron and, and James, uh, not so much myself, um, please let us know. Uh, please send it in to uh, keith.sutton.topper.io and um, we'll see what we can do. Send one last question. Oh, is there one last question that's coming? Oh, no. Thank you, Aaron. Um, but finally, to say thank you, Aaron. Um, hopefully you agree to... Uh, to come on this in, in, uh, in a couple of weeks' time where we'll take on uh, another juicy topic and, uh, and see what we'll For say. one of these, we should do a speed run. We'll get a developer on to build an app and we'll get one of our awesome <laughs> using Toka to build an app <laughs> and see, see who does it first. All right, I'm up for that. <laughs> speed app test. Um, Aaron, thank you. Um, thank you. And uh, have a good evening and uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon.
Yeah, I'll speak to you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Aaron. Thanks, Thanks all. Bye.